It's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family. Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based family-owned financial planning firm providing financial advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners, CFPs, who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Call Doug, Linda, and Deborah at their office, 919-872-7000, with your financial planning questions. That's 919 919- Now, here are Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. And we are the Lewis family, ready to answer your questions tonight. This is Linda Lewis, and thank you for joining us on Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF. And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. A lot of people who call in uh, recently have been people, young couples who are hitting uh, milestones in their own life. And there was a young couple who called. They had just had their first child. And uh, I thought their questions would be a good example of how we can help young folks who want to give us a call either tonight or at our office about their financial situation. Well, let's get some of the facts in front of us, Deborah. How old were they? Uh, they were both 29. 29 years old, uh, employed, both of them, one of them or neither? Uh, yes, both were employed full time and both with good jobs. And but they, what kind of income were they expecting? Oh, yes. Um, household income of approximately 175000 Oh, okay. In their uh, 29 year olds, household income $175,000. Just they, had their first child. Oh, just had their first child. All right. Yeah, so that mile marker made them call. All right. Uh, what about a home? Do they rent or buy? Or are they buying? Bought a home uh, for about two hundred sixty-eight thousand. Okay. What are their monthly living expenses looking like? Okay, they total at about thirty-four hundred. All right. What have they accumulated? Well, so far. Yeah. What they've accumulated so far is they have a joint savings account of about twenty-one thousand. All right. Um, then she has. An IRA, well, actually, a 401k from a former employer. So former when, employer. Yes, it's still at the old jobs how 401k. Much, how much is in that old 401k? 32000 All right, what about himself, the uh, husband? He, yes, he has a 401k with his current employer for about 91000 All right, and do they have any tax, any just regular non-retirement investment accounts? Yes, they both have a, uh, well, they, they have a brokerage account with about 30000 in it. All right. Just one brokerage account. All right. Well, all right. So we got a few pick, a few facts about them. Looks to me like they've done a great job so far in building up emergency savings, if they've got that much in savings right now. $21,000, that's fine. Looks like they're on track in, in terms of socking away for retirement uh, by their 401k. But the first thing that occurs to me is that she should roll over her old 401k into a traditional IRA, which is going to open up more investment options. Now, he he should keep continuing to contribute to his 401k to be able to earn the company match. And if next year they earn more than the current Roth IRA limits then he should consider maybe maxing out a 401k contribution or increasing what we call a pay-yourself-first investment plan. And looks to me like even if their gross income could exceed the income restriction, 
they should still check with their modified adjusted gross income uh, numbers, either with a certified financial planner like myself, like yourself, Deborah, or with their accountant, because that is going to be the basis for contributing or not contributing to a Roth IRA. And at their young ages, Roth IRAs are very attractive. So, okay, very good. How about a life insurance? Um, that's often another consideration. Are we insured enough or underinsured? Well, this is very important. Up until the, fa- the time of having their baby, I wouldn't care. But now that they are ch- their parents, then yes, I think that he should have at least a million dollars. She should have a half a million dollars. Both of those for the purpose of replacing income and covering child care costs. And I would get term insurance. I would look for maybe 20-year level term at their early young ages. It would probably be dirt cheap. It's going to be dirt cheap. A million dollar to a million dollar 20-year term policy on a 29-year-old male if he's in good health. It's going to be real easy. Also, estate planning documents. That's immediately important because of oh, the child. They need a will. They need a trust. For their child, they need powers of attorney, and they need health care directives. Right. We need to name that guardian just in case of emergency, and then we need to take care of uh, how to pray, take care of uh, either one of them if one were predeceased the other. All right. So it's great to hear a refreshing story really of is. a young couple who is planning their life, but because of a wonderful opportunity, they're both working, and they have a comfortable income, but now with their, their new baby, then... New challenges, right? New opportunities and uh, certainly a checklist that needs to be addressed. That's right. What I'm thinking of, Linda, is the fact that financial planning differs dramatically from money management. Money management is basically uh, a study of how your investments are doing. But financial planning focuses on stages of life. The key word there being planning. Planning. Now, you don't plan with money management. But planning is financial. Financial planning has stages of life. And so this young couple, yes, they're in their early stage. That's wonderful. I'm thinking this past week of another young couple that came to see us about 20 years ago. They were young, but then life went along. And what happened was he got and she got divorced. Right. And then we never heard from them again until this past week. She came to see us again. And now a whole new story. That's right. So here was a young couple who had begun financial planning together. And as life does, it played them uh, a blow. And they their, their marriage didn't make it. But the, of the two, she had kept her financial habits so strong and so diligent, keeping you know that, that alive. All of the things that we had told the two of them to do in the way of planning True. many years ago. He did not follow. She did. Their divorce came. New stage of life. All these years later, she comes to see us again. We had not seen her in so many years, and it was a joy to start her on a new life stage with the same financial habits and the same attitude that we need to be planning. Now, not planning for that stage. That's right. Planning for this new stage as a divorcee looking at her life in front of her. And I'm I would sure say, I would say the, the 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 real next stage was pre-retirement planning. That's exactly because, you what know, it was. Because twenty for her. years later, we, you had gone from the I'm a young person and uh, wanting to accumulate as much as I can to I'm a middle-aged person who would like to be as best suited as I can for pre-retirement and retirement planning, so that I'm financially independent. 
You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Deborah Lewis of Lewis Financial Management. Call us at 919-872-7000 to speak about your situation and to set up an appointment. 919-872-7000. Okay, let's take Paul's call. Paul, Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? I had a question on retirement. Planning to retire in a couple years. All right. And How old are you? 54. You're 54. Okay. And I uh, plan to build a new home. The question is, uh, when I go into retirement, uh, should I pay cash for the home or should I finance it? And my, my thinking is to finance it and keep my expenditures low and keep my money invested. But I wondered what you would advise. Well, very often we recommend that, but then so lots of times we don't. Uh, let me see what your picture looks like. You're 54. What's your income right now? Uh, 85000 Income's 85. Uh, you say we, so I presume you're married. Yes. Is your wife working? Yes. All right, and what's her income? Uh, 25000 All right, so you got about a combined 100 and, uh, 110. Uh, yeah, 110 combined. Then uh, what does your present investment portfolio look like outside of the retirement? In other words, not the 401k, your present investment portfolio that's owned outside of retirement. Uh, it's, it's about... Uh uh, 150,000 in a variety of stocks. 150,000 in stocks or stock funds? Stocks. All right, individual stocks. Yes. What else do you have? Uh, that's about it outside of retirement. All right, now over on the retirement side, what do you have? Uh, about 350,000. And that's what's in your presently in your company stock? Uh, yes, it is. All right. Well, really, uh, there are a couple of things. First of all, to get yourself positioned in such a way that you can comfortably make that decision about uh, leverage or no leverage on the home is important. Uh, you need to go ahead, if altogether you've got like a combined half million dollars, you should be spread in approximately, now it depends on what choices that you're given. If you, if you were, you know, if, if all of this were available to do what you wanted to, I'd pick ten fifty thousand $50,000 funds and I'd spread it equally. But I don't, you probably don't have that many choices available in your company, in the, in the 401k. Right. So uh, what you should do over there, and of course, if you want to be moving out in a couple of years, you probably also want to be conservative with the portion that's over there. But I would spread myself, uh, but uh, definitely away from the individual stock and spread yourself according to, and I'd probably work with a certified financial planner to help you make those decisions because you really have a short fuse. You don't have a long timeline in front of you. Right. A lot of things to think about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then over on the individual side, again, I would look at repositioning the individual stocks into funds, and I would probably be looking at balanced funds or growth and in income funds. And if there's only 150000 total, I would say maybe uh, four, three fifties, that's not enough, four, five, yeah, maybe five funds, 30000 a apiece over on the personal side. Now, having said all that, you've got a half million dollars there, and then the question is the home. Now, how much is the home worth? Uh, 200000 That is the one you're going to build? Yeah, about that. Okay. So you're going to build a house worth $200,000. Uh, What's the value of the, of the current home, though? About the same. About the same. Well, that's a good idea. See, his question is, does he take the 200 out and buy a new house and have it paid for and keep his expenses low with no mortgage payment, or does he go ahead and maybe put down 20,000 cash and have 180,000 to add to his investment portfolio? Well, you, you uh, want to run the numbers, don't you? Yeah, that's basically your question, right, Paul? Right, that's it. Yeah. Um, 
it would be an interesting exercise to work the numbers because I have seen your numbers look real close right now. Do you know what your living expenses are running outside of the uh, um, outside of the of the mortgage? Probably thirty five thousand. Well, no, that that's including the mortgage. Mm-hmm. What you need to do, you need to meet with a certified financial planner and build in the future expected lifestyle needs. For example, travel may go up. Uh, different things, and get your future expense number there, and then come back over to the investment portfolio. One of the tricky things is if you're going to retire at age 56, of course you will do an IRA rollover with your uh, from your 401k. Right. But uh, you'll be faced with the awkward choice of do you start taking money out to support your lifestyle and pay the 10% penalty as it comes out, and sometimes that's not a bad decision, or do you take a series of equal payments over a five-year period and avoid the 10% penalty? Uh, you're you're going to be with, getting a pension, right? Right. When you separate from the company? Right. In addition to the 401k? Right. Oh. Will your wife continue to work? Uh, for a while, yes. For a while, yeah. Oh, well, then he won't have to. Yeah. I think I would leverage the house. I think I'd leverage the house, uh, but I would do it carefully. I do it carefully. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You, you really I mean, need to work those numbers. Yeah, because I've done that for for uh, for a number of my clients, and uh, when we do it, we work it very carefully. Your portfolio should have a balance of liquid and illiquid investments, but there should be definitely what goes for the mortgage should be in liquid investments, so that you could any day walk away and write a check and pay off the mortgage. You okay. see what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah, and probably what you want to do, Paul, is just write down some of the questions that you and your wife have at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, work with a financial planner. And if, if you would like some information from us, further information, you can call us at the office. And that number in Raleigh is 872-7000. That's USA 7000. Okay, well, thank you very much. And thank you for calling. Appreciate we enjoyed your call. Well, Doug, in the world of, I guess you could say, estate planning. All right. Or, and also investment planning, uh, many parents have concern about setting up a trust fund. And what is the biggest mistake that parents make when they're setting up a trust fund? There are some common mistakes that happen. There are a lot of mistakes, Linda and Deborah. First of all, parents often don't think enough about who they want as the trustee of that trust for their children. That's the first thing. Think it through carefully. Who's going to be the trustee of the trust for the children? Secondly, parents need to be clear about the goals of the trust. Most parents don't think this through enough about when the money should be distributed to their children. How should it be distributed to the children? Should it be every five years? Should it be upon attaining a certain age or a college degree or your first uh, uh, job? Or But no matter what route you go, You need to be thoughtful about how the trust is going to distribute the money. And I would say, lastly, it's important to circle back on all of your beneficiary designations once the trusts are established. Because often parents set up trust, and then they're hopeful that the proceeds of their insurance policies are going to go into this trust. And then later on, without changing the beneficiaries, that's never going to happen. So that's another important thing or important mistake to avoid. And a real mistake, I would say, so often is letting the sibling be the trustee of another sibling's trust. There's nothing like having to ask your brother or sister for money. 
later on to rekindle old smoldering grudges. So uh, I would say with regard to the trustee, that is crucial, Linda. And there certainly are some little mistakes that one needs to look at, right, Doug? There are other little mistakes. There's no doubt about it. You got to be extremely uh, sure that you're ensuring all of the beneficiary, trustee, trust ownership information, that it's thought through not only carefully and correctly, but kept up to date. Because the consequences of not keeping it up to date uh, can sometimes be really significant. There needs to be considerable thought put into whom the trust is designed to benefit. Uh, it may not be as simple as you originally thought it through. It also might make sense to designate the trust as the beneficiary if there are assets intended to be shared equally among your children or your heirs. And, you know, even if you don't have a trust, regularly checking on the beneficiary information on a will or life insurance policy or brokerage statements, that's really important. These are some of the little mistakes that happen. And, of course, in our office, practicing financial planning, we are always coming back to looking at these items. And it's important, isn't it, to uh, if you're if you're the advisor, then you're going to be working in tandem with the estate professional that has drawn up the will or the trust and make sure that if it needs updating, write down your questions and work with a certified financial planner. Call us at Lewis Financial Management in Raleigh. Our number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. We'll be happy to review your estate documents and see if you're on track with how you want things to go if you should get disabled or deceased. You know, and it's funny because there are so many circumstances where we have been meeting with a client and literally asking them the question, have you checked the IRA beneficiary designation form? Have you checked or updated the insurance policies? And they'll look at each other and they'll look at us and they'll go, oh my gosh, I think an ex-spouse is still on there. Isn't that something? Or I, or I haven't thought about that in years. I really would like to know. Or, you know, how do I get information about my 401k? Mm-hmm. Or so, so many times it's just estate planning can be, let's check the documents. Let's check the beneficiary forms. Let's make sure all of these things are in good order. Because if they aren't, they could really cause complications after uh, when, you, when you don't want to deal with them. If you need help, call me, Deborah Lewis, 919 919- 872-7000. Uh, Tom's call. Tom, how can I help you? So we're looking at the possibility of uh, buying some property uh, at the coast as an, an investment, uh, also as a place to spend a couple of weeks during a uh, year on vacation. And I wanted to find out what your thoughts are uh, you know, after coming up with a big bag of money for a down payment. Uh, we were thinking about possibly looking at an, an adjustable rate mortgage and wanted to find out, if, is that something that you'd warn against? Do banks even even uh, entertain uh, arms on a second home? And uh, just your overall thoughts on how we might go, go about uh, getting ourselves qualified. And would you basically uh, think much of the ARM at all? Well, uh, tell me, uh, how old are you, Tom? 32. You're 32, and you married a single? Married. Married. Any children? No kids. No kids. Got a dog in the back seat. Dog in the back <laughs> seat. Both you and your wife working? Yes, sir. Qualifies you as dinks, dual income, no kids. Pardon me? 
Dinks, dual income, no kids. You got it. All right. Uh, the dog doesn't earn, right? Right. Okay. Now, what's your income, Tom? Uh, combined, probably 120000 All right. And how does it break out between husband and wife, approximately? Uh, 90-30. All right. And I guess you're the 90 and the wife's are 30. Yes, sir. Okay. Now, uh, what does the investment portfolio look like right now that you own? Uh, maybe... Between uh, uh, company stock and uh, personal stock, I'd say $20,000. All right. Now, your company stock, that's in a retirement plan, an ESOP program? Uh, I think it's in a SEP account. Does that sound right? Mm, no, you couldn't do that in a seven in an IRA SEP. You might do it through an ESOP. That's E-S-O-P if you're thinking of the S. Okay. Uh, uh, or it could be an S-O-P, stock option plan. All right. Yeah. Uh, but you think there's about 20000 there? Yes, sir. All right. What about, and uh, you said you've got some 401k money? Right. All right. About how much is in the 401k? Maybe 10 All right. Now, those are retirement plan assets. And, of course, since you're 32, you can't access them. What do you have in non-retirement investments? Uh, I'd say eight, another 8 to 10 And is that in, uh, what kind of investments do you have that in? Stock. All right, you've got that in personal and individual stock. Yes, sir. All right, you've got maybe another 8000 there, I'll say. Is that all your investments? Yes, sir. All right, what about your living expenses? You've got a high income for no children. Are you, are, you Your expenses must be quite high. Uh, I guess it's relative. I, um, what, what are you getting at? I don't, I don't well, really I'm, know. Well, you're... you're, you're I'm trying to forget a little picture because you sure. say that you're buying property right. at the coast for investment and you want to know about adding additional expense. Right. Now, at the present time, you don't own this house at the beach, right? Right. Okay. What, what, what I was really trying to figure out is if, you know, would the bank enter, uh, take the uh, past rental history of the house as a factor as to, you know, trying to offset what the uh, additional mortgage payment is going to be? Would that help me out a whole bunch, or would the, the uh, well? I think I think you're coming. You're asking a couple of different questions. There's some questions you need to not ask me, and other questions you need to ask me. Okay. As a financial planner, I give advice. All right. Okay. Uh, so I can give you advice if you feel if your if your question is is this a smart move that you're making? Okay. Uh, and that's what I'm. That's where I'm coming from. Okay. Okay. That's the kind of question that Linda gathers when they come to see me. Now, uh, you're. What about cash accounts? That's the one thing I didn't ask you. What do you have in cash accounts? Oh, I'd say five. All right. You, now let's get back to your living expenses then, because okay. if, if, if we've got 120000 a year income, right. then it looks to me like you're spending pretty much all of your income. No, huh? I mean, we seem to... I'm trying to figure where it's going then, because if I don't see it in cash, stocks, or retirement plan, yeah. then where where's the money been going? Yeah. Have, have y'all that's, that's had, something that we have trouble figuring out at the end of the month. But the, I don't know. We usually have, I don't know, a thousand dollars at the end of the month to, to spend as we feel like spending it on. All right. Well, I think my advice to you is number is is twofold. First of all, property at the coast is not an investment. But don't use that term as it's an investment because if you do, I'll tell you it's a lousy investment. Okay. So any, uh, if you can, so what? In other words, you're not going to make money. You're going to lose money. Right. And uh, and if and even if you break even, 
you will not it will not compete with any other alternative investment like a decent mutual fund that you're going into or anything like that. Right. So the question is, should you be at 32 buying an additional uh, residence at the beach? And I would say no. I would say you can't afford it. You're walking into a trap that's going to be a big problem. Yeah. And I think that it's going to be a liability to you that's going to cause uh, uh, some real problems down the road or maybe even not so far down the road. I also think the bank will look at it the same way, but I'm not a banker, so I can't say. Right, okay. But I don't think that I would do it. I think if I were you, I would rent whenever you want to go to the beach. I'd rent your place. Right. Even if you have to pay 500 bucks for the weekend or whatever, mm-hmm. rent your place, but don't take on an extra, how much was it the debt you were going to take on? 200. Another $200,000 of debt? Right. I think that's a disaster waiting to happen. I wouldn't let what? any client of mine do that. That's how, Even if the, uh, the, the rental history is bringing in like 25 grand a year, I mean, it, it seems like that would offset a a whole bunch of the uh, exposure that I'd be... Yeah, but the, see, the, the point is not the, the rental history. The point is why you're doing it. You're trying to get too much too fast, and you're not saving a penny. You're spending everything that you're making, yeah. and if your income drops or something shifts on you, mm-hmm. then you've got this big debt waiting you know, on top of you. And if you and if you see, if you tell me right now that you are, uh, after paying taxes... Or including taxes, you're spending one hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year, basically. Right. Well, I'm going to say, well, where are you going to get this additional debt? And suppose you can't, something happens to the income. You know what I mean? That's that's too heavy for a person thirty-two. And I and I have a personal story to tell you, and then I'll let you off the air of a friend of mine who did that, and I just I met him yesterday. Okay. Can I can I jump in real quick though? Yeah. Would you not advise taking a a, a, a greater risk? Being uh, that we are, uh, you know, don't have the, the, the baggage of, not baggage, but that we don't have kids, you know, if we, if we do uh, yes. go at the higher risk, this would be the time to do it, not when I've got four kids. Yes, but the type of risk would be in high-risk liquid investments. I would go to aggressive mutual funds, where, which have the opportunity maybe in a given year to give you a 40% return I got you. where you can go ahead and compound. The problem with real estate is it does not compound. Right. It's an illiquid investment, and its, it's value increase, if there is any, is always on paper. Mm-hmm. You can't walk away tomorrow. You can't compound the return. I see. I was wondering, you, you folks have a home. What Do you live in Raleigh? Right. So you have a primary residence. Yeah. And uh, what's the value of that? I'd say it's 190, 195 based so you, on, on sales uh, on our street this year. So you're talking about taking another mortgage of 200,000. Correct. And how much were you guys going to put down on it? Uh probably 10%. Man, that's a lot. That's see, that's a lot of debt. Well, they don't even have twenty thousand cash to put down. They're gonna have to go ahead and, and 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 accumulate that somewhere or sell the company. Well, they can't sell the company stock. It's too, it's too much for your income. It's much too much income for one hundred twenty thousand income. Right. You know, Tom, I don't think Doug wanted to burst your bubble or anything. It's just um, we're dreaming, I guess. Huh? Yeah, and no, I mean it's nice to to think about uh, having a place at the beach and and being able to go down there and the convenience. But then you got to think about you know you got to hire property managers to take care of it, et cetera, et cetera. If the roof goes out, you've yeah, damage, if you finish damage, real estate taxes. freeze or something, or, you yeah. know, a, a I, got nothing against, I have nothing against a $200,000 home at the beach. I'm just saying rent it. Don't buy it. Yeah. 
you know, rent it, and then if you find another one you like down further down the beach, then you're not tied to that one. Yeah. And you may go out and do this, but before you do that, look at the pros and the cons. Yeah. You know, because you don't want to just stretch yourself to the point where uh, it's going to be a nightmare down the road. Any more questions, give me a call at the office, and I'll go over your specific numbers if you want. My number at the office during the week is 872-7000, and you can speak to Linda. But uh, we wish you well. Okay, thanks <laughs> and, for your help. All right, take care. Well, Doug, another area that is often a question uh, that's raised many times in our office is when it comes to retirement planning, most people are focused and may have questions about the possibility of them outliving their assets. So you, as an experienced and seasoned financial planner, how do you know, uh, how do you help clients know whether or not they have enough or to give away while they're alive or that they might need to keep it to the end so they don't outlive their assets? The worry about that does not touch many people. But in my practice, what we do, as you know, is a conservative retirement projection for clients using worst-case scenarios. So if inflation is higher than we expect, if we are, our living expenses are inflating, but we have um, a need that we can see throughout the years, we're going to project what we might need to take from the different portfolios. Yeah, the matter of giving versus spending. Okay. If giving is part of the lifestyle, that's important for us to know. After we have done all of those types of analyses and stress testing, which we do for our financial planning clients right now, we do this twice a year automatically. Only then do we address the other issues, which are more subjective. There's the matter of the fear. How do we deal with this matter of fear of a stock market crash? And finally, we have to address what risks the client's may have besides a, uh, a market correction. Maybe it's something with regard to their children. Maybe there's a new liability that's arisen. After all of that, and we've run all these analyses, only then do we go ahead and look at the other issues, the tax benefits, the emotional issues. Uh, and if they're able to do so, then sure, let's go ahead and give away as much as they want to give. But it needs to be it always differs on a case-by-case -case basis. I'm thinking of a client I met with last week, and the very issue came up about living expenses, and the client looked at me and said, you know, I think I'm giving too much, aren't I? Yes, I will recall that. Do you that. remember that? I do, I do. you do. remember that? After I, a lifetime yeah. of giving, there there became a point when uh, they realized that... They might be hurting their themselves. future. And, they said, and, and I remember the way she said it. She said, well, I've given to blank, 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 blank church lots and lots and lots through all these years. I think I can slow down now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, so, and, well, and I agree with you all that you need to look at what are your expenses now and what are your needs. And as as you get older, there may be the need to take care of us because it may be that your medical needs have changed, are, have changed mm -hmm. and are taking uh, the first place in your financial issues. And it's, it's good to revisit that. And that's why working with a certified financial planner is always a safe place to be because you have questions about how you're spending your money and what is the best decision, right, Doug? You're right, Linda. And I'm thinking on the other end of the equation, the ones like our, some of our clients that have very large portfolios, well, very often there's a way to have it 
put into mm-hmm. the estate documents mm-hmm. that this, that X amount is going to go to my heirs or to my children's trust or whatever, and then the rest will go into a perpetual charitable foundation, foundation. to benefit uh, all aspects of charity, such as the uh, the American Heart Association or the Triangle uh, Heart Walk that we did today. But you have to put it all into perspective and. Once it's done with all the different analyses, then the client can have the comfort of knowing what is the proper balance of not leaving too much money behind and at the same time taking care of all of my own retirement needs. Call us at Lewis Financial Management in Raleigh, and we would be happy to set up an appointment with you to review your your portfolio or your current financial planning situation. And we can make an appointment with you. Call us at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000 in Raleigh, North Carolina. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Ken, you there? This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? Hi, Doug. I've heard constantly about tax-free real estate transfers. Right. I wonder if you could explain about that a little bit. Uh, How old are you, Ken? You're 50 years old, married or single? Single. You're single. And do you have any idea what your living expenses are running? No, I don't. How about your income? I don't know if I want to go into it. Maybe you could just explain what the procedure is, and that would be helpful to me. You move one piece of real estate from yourself over to another individual. You, uh, Instead of buying and selling directly, you use a third-party exchanger so that you don't take constructive receipt of the money. And then your money that you're going to get goes back to another individual, and that other individual turns around and gets the money and instead gives you the, other, the, the second piece of real estate. So you end up with another piece of real estate instead of your first piece of real estate very often, uh, it's an income-producing piece of real estate. Let's say that you know, you've know you got a piece of raw land that uh, you'd like to sell, and it's worth a half million dollars. You can go ahead and exchange that for another piece of real estate that's now producing uh, 9 or 10% cash flow, and you avoid the capital gains tax on your first one. Do you have real estate? Um, yes. So you were possibly looking at unloading some of your real estate? Possibly. Because uh, another vehicle that you could use, right, Doug, would be a charitable trust. Yeah, it works much better in many cases. And we've done a lot more of those than we have the uh, the tax-free exchanges. For many people, they don't want to end up with a second piece of real estate. They want to sell their first real estate and end up with a hunk of cash, but they don't want to pay the capital gains tax. And the reason they want the cash is they want to invest it in mutual funds, stocks, bonds, etc., and that's where the NIMCRUT strategy works much better because you don't have to end up with real estate. You know, and depending on what the value of that piece of real estate is, if it if you know if it's really appreciated, then you could transfer that asset into the trust. Well, it may or may not be worth it. How much gain are you are you facing uh, losing? Like, what's the cost basis in your property, Ken? It'd be very low. All right. Oh, okay. So you got a minimal basis, and what's the value of the property you're thinking of exchanging? About two hundred forty thousand. All right, so if you're facing 240000 the reason I mentioned that, if it was only a $75,000 piece of property, it wouldn't be worth the charitable trust strategy. What you can do, you can use the concept of controlled social capital and pay no capital gains tax using the charitable trust strategy. And that's the one that we prefer in many cases. 
You know, Ken, there's a brochure that we have available um, that I can send to you free of charge. I'll be happy to send that to you if you'll uh, if you would call the office during the week. And, What's that number? Yes, sir. That number in Raleigh is nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. That's nine one nine USA seven thousand. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks for calling. Well, Doug, I saw an interesting article in the Wall Street Journal, and it was talking about Roths, but Roths from the perspective of being an older investor. Ooh. So, yeah, so that we, you know, you get a fair amount of people who either started when they first came out or uh, along the way had that option in a 401k. And it spoke about the, uh, this whole topic being wrapped just specifically about older investors and what you should consider. And uh, they were saying that Roths have long appealed to, to investors in the early stages of the career who expect to pay taxes at a higher rate in retirement. And I thought that right there was different than what we're usually hearing. Yeah, the Roth IRA got a lot of press about seven or eight years ago, and since then is still in the minds of many. And for some, it's a wonderful, wonderful way to go ahead and let money accumulate and then be able to take it out tax-free later on. Uh, but older investors may also be tempted to use Roth IRAs to generate more retirement income than they could with the traditional IRA or 401k, even if they expect to pay taxes at a lower rate down the road. Now, that is the story that's out there. Okay. Uh, what's the advantage for investors of saving with the Roth that um, versus... Are traditional. Well, I'm personally discovering that they're very, they're small. They're not many real benefits for the older investors. You see, Roths are essentially mirror versions of traditional IRAs and 401ks. Each one is designed to build retirement assets over time by putting money into stocks or bonds or mutual funds. And then with the traditional IRA or the 401k, you get a tax deduction up front. You invest pre-tax dollars. When you withdraw the money later on, that's when you pay the taxes on the contribution. But with the Roth IRA, okay. you contribute after-tax dollars. You can generally withdraw the contributions, and any gains are tax-free in retirement. Sounds appealing. It does, but the point is that you have to have years to make the Roth work. You often say that. Yeah, and so... Uh, investors who want to capitalize on this advantage by choosing a Roth IRA over a traditional account, they have to be aware of two important caveats or warnings. Okay. It can take many years for the investment in a Roth to develop any meaningful edge over the traditional IRA. And I generally like to draw the line at age 40. When I've done my analyses, uh, if you're over 40, the Roth IRA generally does not make up the cost factor. It, it, for, the, for those that are under 40, I like the Roth IRAs. For ones who are over 40, I feel and I have found that they just don't make that much sense. Now, the second caveat, though, is that an investor who expects to drop down to a lower tax rate could need to contribute the maximum allowable to the Roth to take full advantage of the boost that a Roth could provide. So you have this problem, can you actually contribute enough to make it worthwhile? That's, that's why you can't make it work so well when you're in your older years. Now, the Roth could still be a worthwhile choice, but you need to run the analyses. Uh, you don't have to do 
the 70 and a half minimum distribution on a Roth as you do on a regular IRA. Nevertheless, I don't think I would try and do this on your own. You need to be able to run the analyses. That's what we do in our office. And personally, I think the Roth needs to be approached very cautiously, Deborah. Okay. Very good. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Call me, Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner of Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. Jim, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? Yeah, I uh, make about $50,000 in self-employed income, which I don't really need to live on. I wonder what the best way to invest that would be. Well, it depends on who you are. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Jim, how old are you? I'm 32 years old. I got uh, four kids. 32. Married with four children? Married with four children. You got a little army. That's right. (laughs) Four kids. Yeah, you must have. You're 32 years old, four kids, I'll say. Um, And you're saying that you've got self-employment income of about 50000 that you don't need. Why? You have other employment? Yeah, I I make about 100000 in my regular job. Okay, that's what I wanted to know. All right, so you've got $100,000. Uh, income plus you've got this fifty is what you're saying, right? All right, and that's self-employment income. That's one hundred and fifty thousand total. Now that fifty thousand is that uh, Schedule C income? Uh, it's it's not a corporation. Is no, it? I, independent contractor. Okay, so that's Schedule C income. Yes, and is that fifty thousand net after expenses? Yes. Okay, so that's the bottom line of your Schedule C. Is your wife working, or is the hundred thousand the total? The hundred and fifty the total family income. She stays at home. Okay, about how much are your living expenses? About four thousand a month. Really, is about outgoing. All right. Okay, so if you got forty-eight thousand going out, let me ask you now: What are your what's your present investment portfolio look like, Jim? What do you have presently invested in non-retirement monies? About I got about twelve thousand in money market, and about another five thousand in mutual funds. Twelve thousand in money market, five thousand mutual funds, and where's the rest of it? That's it. I just really just started making money this year. So you don't really have any investment portfolio yet. Not much. Yeah, you need some bad help. <laughs> well, you need some help bad. You don't need bad help. You need help bad. <laughs> uh, can he set up a SEP IRA? He can do a number of money? things. He can do a number of things. First of all, you can set up a SEP IRA, and that's right. That will go ahead and be tax deductible. That will reduce your income tax. And we can go ahead and uh, select a mutual fund for that to go into inside a SEP. And if you're only 32 years old, you could probably use either an international fund or an aggressive growth fund or a small cap fund. I would say small cap uh, would be fine or international, but something aggressive because, you you know, you're locking it away for the next, you know what I'm saying, 27 years. Right. Okay. Uh, and then you can keep doing that every year then the rest of it, you should meet with a financial planner and do three things. The first, you want to have an analysis of your living expenses, either come prepared or get help, because you need to establish what we call a pay-yourself-first plan on a monthly basis, maybe at the rate of, say, 5000 a month. Okay. Now, when you start putting that 5000 a month into some growth vehicle, whether it be a growth and income fund or a growth fund or a balanced fund, But you will find that because you're so young, you have an enormous wealth accumulation potential here. Uh, But you need to start it and get it happening on like on automatic pilot. When we do do these in our office for our clients, we go through the analysis to determine with the client how much there actually is available on a regular monthly basis. 
And then the client goes ahead with the help of the planner and selects a vehicle, a mutual fund, and starts the draft from their checking account over to that mutual fund, but retains telephone control over it. So he can adjust it down or up, down or up. You see what I'm saying? Yep. What that does for you is that lets you have the better opportunity of if the market takes a drop at the time that you're going in that particular month, you'll actually buy more than you would have if you had tried it the other way. So over time, that's called dollar cost averaging. And over time, you will accumulate more that way than trying to guess the right way and wait and hold it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, that's the second thing you should do. You should set up a pay-yourself-first plan. Now, the third thing you should do is you should, with the help of a planner, develop what's called an asset allocation pattern. An asset allocation pattern is one that looks at, over the next five years or ten years, how much is your ability to, to um, accumulate and how it should be balanced and spread in different types of investments. So all your eggs aren't in any one basket. I'd maybe with your fifty thousand, I'd pick a twenty thousand dollar growth and income fund and a twenty thousand uh, dollar balanced fund and a twenty and and and, and a ten thousand uh, dollar growth fund, and then let your six thousand a month be going into that third fund until it reaches the twenty, and then shift to the next fund and keep building it that way. If, on the other hand, we'd have, a, we'd have a different income story, we'd have to approach it differently. But I wouldn't try and just select the fund outside of the whole total picture. Yeah, Jim, what would be helpful is if you would write your questions down. And if we can be of more assistance to you, you can call me at the office during the week. Okay. And the number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. Well, Doug, Linda, there is uh, a conversation that many families find hard or difficult to get started, and it's this conversation about estates, wills, what's going to happen when mom and dad die. And for many parents, the idea of speaking to even their adult children about what's in their estate can be really unappealing. And a uh, few parents want to dwell to begin with on their own mortality, which, you know, can make them uncomfortable, but can also make their children uncomfortable. Yeah, the benefits of getting everything out in the open, on the other hand, can be enormous. Telling children ahead of time what to expect allows parents to explain their decisions. It also allows the children to plan their lives accordingly. Uh, of course, that's going to prompt the parents sometimes to make wiser decisions about their wills, and there may be tax benefits in some cases. Okay, so full disclosure may not be right for every family, you know, for many uh, or a number of reasons. But let's just say you're a family out there that wants to get started talking. Here are what we think are five uh, good ways to get this conversation started. One, uh, you, you'll have a chance and uh, to smooth over ruffled feathers in case there's that possibility. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's true. By by getting it out in the open, you do have the chance to smooth over any ruffled feathers. Talking things out while the parents are alive may help soothe over what could be resentful later on. 
These are decisions that the parents can explain and share with their children about why they want things to happen a certain way during their lifetimes in their own words. And that, of course, can alleviate hurt feelings later on in the future. You know, to some of our listeners, I know that uh, for those that maybe have just gotten the news that they have an illness and in some cases, a terminal illness or at least a lifelong illness. Some folks get MS or Lou Gehrig's or lupus. And then it, you know, it may your health or Parkinson's. And so it your health may deteriorate over time. And if you have young children, then you're more concerned. But also if you have older children that maybe they're still college students, you want to have the conversation at one at one point, right, Doug? That's right. The well, conversation is important. It needs to be out there because of uh, a lot of reasons. The first one, of course, is this matter of say of smoothing over ruffled feathers. But then there's also that you can save the children hassles and prevent mistakes. Yeah, and I think that's a big one, is is that if you have this conversation with your adult children about what your intentions and your desires are, then they don't have to both grieve and figure out where the will document is. I mean, that's just that's just a, um, an un- unnecessary timing. So parents should let their heirs know what to expect so they aren't left scrambling to pick up the pieces months or even years later. And... Um, and this can be very, very, uh, the worst time possible to try and figure out where did mom and dad uh, own things, keep documents that were important to us. Yeah. Those are two of the reasons that you need to have the estate talk, smooth over possible ruffled feathers in the future, and save the hassles and the, and the mistakes uh, when the time comes. A third uh, reason to have the talk is you can increase the quality of life of the parents, just knowing uh, that it's all taken care of, the quality of life in the uh, in the parents just sometimes is so much better. There's value in taking the time to explain where to draw the line between uh, tough love and practical assistance. You know, uh, when is the uh, driver's license going to be taken away, or when is the uh, checkbook going to be taken away? What, in other words. When do you want it to happen? Have yeah. this discussion ahead of time so that when the time comes, it's all been worked out. Yeah, that's a really big one. Um, just making it much more comfortable to have already had that conversation. A fourth reason to have the estate talk is the children may give you a better idea. And I really like uh, this reason because there are so many examples. And one example can be... Uh, summed up where there was a client who was concerned that after he died that the 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 family lake house might not be used enough to justify keeping it and so without discussing the matter with his children the client included a provision in his estate plan that if the property were not used at least 125 days a year that the trustee would be required to sell it. So his advisor had said, well, there's plenty of scenarios where that that family or those family members might not meet that quota. You know, what if there's a, an illness or an overseas assignment? So fortunately, the father realized that he needed to discuss this with his children and really iron those details out. That's not an uncommon, Deborah. I'm thinking of a number of times where I've had an, the the estate talk with the clients, and he's talking about a specific 
a piece of property that he thinks his kids are going to love uh-huh. to have family reunions mm-hmm. in the future and everything. And I'm looking at the numbers and I'm realizing that's probably half of the value of the estate. Suppose, you know, one of those kids wants their inheritance. They don't want to just have uh, a beach property sitting there. They want their money. And all the <laughs> headache of having to pay the property taxes and yeah. taking care of it when the next hurricane comes. So it in. needs to be discussed. You're right. And then, of course, the fifth thing or reason that you want to have this talk is that it can save taxes. Parents should consider the tax consequences of the wealth that they're going to pass on to their kids, especially in cases where maybe the children are already wealthy enough that they don't need the inheritance. Maybe we could set up a generation skipping trust to where the wealth passes directly to the grandchildren. Mm So, yeah, a lot of creativity can go into this conversation. And if you're doing it with a certified financial planner, it allows you to be able to have this conversation and sort of practice with the financial planner how you want to describe your situation and your desires and your estate planning with your adult children and get their input so that conversation goes better. But what we have also found in our own practice at Lewis Financial Management is more likely than not, these grown children are going to be the ones who are taking care of the current client in their later years and having to be the ones who are going to work with us to be able to implement their parents' wishes. Knowing that the talk has been there allows the family the comfort that this financial planning will continue generation after generation according to the desires of mom and pop even when they have passed away. And on our end, we get the joy, right, Linda? We certainly do. Of helping them go generation after generation. Yes, sir. We had the explicit, I don't want to say pleasure, but it was it was precious this past week when you and I visited a client of ours who is terminally ill. And it was just tender. tender His son was there. Yes. And we knew that although he was our client, was going to be who knows how many weeks or months left, but that his son was there with us. And it was a very tender time because there was the comfort from our our terminally ill client that everything is prepared properly. Right. Yes. The financial Defin- planning has been done. Definitely uh, t- tender moments because in, in, in the world of financial planning, when we work with clients, we start from point A. And wherever our clients are, we're right there with them. That's right. And you and you you work at different stages of life from the beginning to the end. And thank you to our listeners. You're all very dear. And to all of our clients, you're all very dear. That's right. <laughs> and it's you know, it's been an emotional week, but it's been a good week. And so I think the most important thing now is keep making memories. And we'll be here to help you make those memories as you accumulate assets, position them properly, and have income so that you can do all those fun things with your family members and those that you love and keep making memories. Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us again this week. Our sign-off tonight, I think, is remember there's a difference between money matters, money management, and financial planning. Financial planning is very different. Yes, your money matters because your financial future is at stake. 
You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. Listen again next Saturday and Sunday at 5 p.m. for Money Matters with the Lewises on 680 WPTF.